everybody. This is Deandra, the new girl from Overland Park, originally from Atchison. Just so you know, you're listening to the PF Tape Recorder, bitches. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, funny Indian man Rajiv Satyal. I turned 30, I freaked out, I was like, you know what, I love Cincinnati, I love Ohio, but I cannot spend my entire life here, uh, I cannot grow old in Salem's lot, as Eminem once said, and I thought, <laughs> you know what, I'm getting out, I'm going to the coast. We'll hear more from Rajiv in just a few minutes. We'll also have the 911 call from our run-in with law enforcement, you want to stay tuned for that. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. Are corporations people capable of their own religious objections to birth control? Can businesses deny employees contraception access based on the corporation's spirituality? The U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments this past Tuesday on this extremely important case, which Hobby Lobby also objected to. Hobby Lobby, of course, also objected to oral arguments. U.S. President Barack Obama and Pope Francis met for the first time this past Thursday in Vatican City. The two men discussed history, spirituality, and how some conservative Christians in America love money and the status quo more than they love their God. Jose Ahonan is a Finnish magician who is racking up millions of YouTube views with a new video in which he pulls a hidden treat trick on dogs. Yes, even puppies can fall for a sleight-of-hand trick, and the reactions to Ahonan's antics are pretty hilarious. Ahonan's next video will feature Fox talking points being explained to Fox News viewers. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban says the NFL is 10 years from imploding. Cuban made their marks in response to the league's new Thursday night television deal that will put games on CBS for the first half of the season. He then offered to buy a percentage of the league, but then Shark Tank co-star Kevin O'Leary immediately countered saying he would take a part of the league but wanted a $10 royalty per fan until he got his money back and then $5 per fan after that. Uh, someone in a commentary also pointed out that, that Cuban's league, Cuban says that the league is going to be overexposed, and someone pointed out, but the NBA plays from, like, June till almost the next June. More NFL news. Dan Snyder is backing down from continuing to use his team's and battle nickname. Now the Washington Redskins owner is trying to change perceptions by making public overtures towards American Indians. In a letter posted Monday on the team's website, Snyder announced the creation of the Washington Redskins Original Americans Foundation, which will aim to tackle the troubling realities facing so many tribes across the country. Said Snyder, I want to help these savages overcome some of the problems that they are facing. An NFL team is interested in former New York Jets quarterback Mark Sanchez. Fans across the country are all whispering, please don't be my team, please don't be my team. This is the year of big announcements for Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis. On the heels of their engagement news, the couple who met while starring on the hit sitcom That 70s Show is expecting their first child together, sources confirm, to Yahoo Entertainment News. Upon being told by Kunis that she was with child, Kutcher exclaimed, Damn, Jackie! That's all I can picture when I see those two, Miss him saying that. A little over a year ago, Stevie Nicks told Rolling Stone there was more of a chance of an asteroid hitting the Earth than Christine McVie returning to Fleetwood Mac. Well, it might be time to prepare for Armageddon because the Max keyboardist and singer who quit the band in 1998 after a three-decade stint in the group is returning for a world tour beginning this September and a possible new album. Nicks expressed excitement at the news but noted that we only love her when she's playing. Danielle Hughes, CEO and founder of Divine Capital Markets, is among many smart, successful women who find the Ban Bossy campaign a misguided waste of energy. Hughes takes issue with the notion that the term bossy negatively impacts girls more than boys. If anything, she thinks being called bossy contributed to her success. I believe it helped me get over myself and find another way to communicate. Dad, get off the computer! I need to do my extra math! 
And that's been Fake News with me. So when we left you last week, uh, Fangirl and I, Fangirl's here, hey, um. uh, had been stopped uh, at gunpoint by law enforcement and were being detained in the back of squad cars. And we got two slightly different stories as to what happened. And what was the story you got? Um, I was told that someone in a white car at the hotel was threatening to kill three people at gunpoint. And I got the slightly different story. Someone from a white car called and was threatening to shoot people. That was what they told me. Okay, so what happened, we're going to back this up a little bit. It's about 2.58 p.m., uh, around 3 o'clock. We arrive at what we believe is a public road that goes to the back fence of uh, the local amusement park. And uh, Fangirl is taking pictures. And at about the same time, uh, this 911 call is received by Mason Police in Ohio and the Butler County Sheriff's Department. They use the same dispatch. Here it is. How you doing? My name is I'm with uh, uh, Great Wolf Lodge and Mason. Just want to give you a call. Um, if you could send someone, that'd be great. It's a non-emergency, but what we had is a guest who three witnesses heard say that's how people get shot um, and dropping the F word really loudly multiple times. Uh, we evicted her. We had security and a manager walk her out. She got in a car instead of leaving. She's driving around the back of the property right now. She's on the back of the property? Yes, sir. Um, give me one second, sir. 700 to 150. What type of car is that? And then, uh, I couldn't get a make a model on it. Uh, all I know was a white sedan. All right, couldn't get a maker model, but it was a white sedan four-door. Okay. Yeah, license plate number. I'm sorry, phone number. A license plate. Oh. I'm sorry, they're so ready to me. Uh, couldn't get a license plate. I'm sorry. Okay, and your name, sir? My name is. What's your last name? Phone number for you there. Five one three. Okay, who did she make? Threats too. Was it the staff or was it other guests? It was. It was. An, it was three guests. Um, I went back to ask any of our pack members that they had heard her say, and they didn't. But they said they heard her dropping the F word. I went there to talk to the lady, and I heard her say the F word multiple times, very loudly. So I said, "Man, it's, it's time for us to go. We need. We need to get going." She was actually quite compliant. Um, went up to her room, uh, said some more cuss words, but packed her stuff and left. We hoping she'd go off property, but she didn't. She went around the back of the building. And she's still back there, right? Yeah, currently, yes, sir. All right, do you want the officers to respond to the uh, front desk or go back behind that? Um, I, I would say I would say the front desk, and we can uh, get a uh, get an update as to where the person is from there. Okay, I'll uh, meet you there. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Okay, so uh, <laughs> we were never actually in their parking lot, the the road, the public road. I was. Uh, you well, the were, car wasn't, but I was physically. Yeah, I turned the car around and was facing it back on the road to, to leave as soon as this fangirl's done taking pictures of the one coaster back there. and they But they must have seen uh, our car, which is white, a white four-door, on the road and uh, apparently missed the fact that it was a non-emergency. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, 
So here's what happened, and we talked to some uh, law enforcement experts, both a, a city police officer uh, up in the suburbs of Cleveland and a former deputy uh, from a county down in Florida. And uh, the fault apparently lies with a dispatch that did not communicate to the police officers that it was, one, a non-emergency. And what showed up on the police officer's screen, we got a printout of the report, was a uh, person in white car threatening to shoot three people. That's what showed up on law enforcement screen, and that's why I'm told by our law enforcement expert it's called a felony stop, and that's why they show up with guns because they assume you have one, and uh, and that's why we were treated the way we were treated, and that's uh, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> the best example of it. Yes. So, and uh, oddly, we were still asked not to come back to the property, and for a long time we were we, never on the property. Exactly. We thought. <laughs> They think Fangirl is the girl that was uh, causing the ruckus. Which is a whole new mess of problems. Exactly. And, uh, oh, we later, in the end of the report, it says uh, the, the, the woman they're oh, looking the for. Oh, the best part. Yeah, is that she. My new nationality. That's right. Yeah. Uh, n- uh, your new race. The, the, new the, race. the, the suspect uh, was black, which doesn't have anything to do with things except for the fact that you would think that uh, that kind of description would separate Fangirl, who was white. It's just a matter- And blonde. Yeah, we're not. Naturally blonde. <laughs> Yeah, anyone who listens to this podcast knows we're not making any kind of a, a judgment call on race, obviously. It's just a matter of that's a pretty distinct difference between fangirl and the suspect, is all I'm saying. <laughs> and the lady that caused the ruckus did actually did in fact leave, and the bottom of the police report says they didn't catch her. So she got off scot-free, and um, <laughs> we got thrown in the back of a squad car for 20 minutes <laughs> with handcuffs at gunpoint. And, um, they asked me if the handcuffs were comfortable. <laughs> didn't ask me and didn't care. <laughs> Yeah, comfortable. I know. <laughs> you know what? These are nice. Can I get a pair for myself? <laughs> I think I could save these for home. Where do you get these at? Can you kind of order these from Amazon? It's so true. It is. So, um, now I've read in these uh, in magazines. I think maybe like Esquire or some of these lad magazines that there's you know ten things every man should do or everything. And one of them is uh, you should at one uh, one time in life you should get arrested. <laughs> And I'm gonna say, nah, I'm good. Yeah, no. I'm fine. I'm fine. And I would not oh, recommend. I thought it. for sure we were heading to the jail. Oh yeah, totally. Well, we thought we're we were convinced that they were mad at us for being back there taking pictures of the roller coaster. Oh yeah, we thought we were in real trouble on what on what we presumed was a public road. And it our, is a public road, isn't it? It used to be, I think, when they built the hotel. Somehow they assumed, oh. but I still think, but it still has a traffic sign it on it, clear. and it says the end of county maintenance. Yeah, it does not say no it's clear road. where the amusement park property starts. It's clear where the hotel parking lot is. It is not clear where this road all of a sudden stops being a road, and it's actually a back access road for the hotel. But anyway. Um, yeah, so so that's that. And my recommendation to you, you boys and girls out there, is not to get arrested, and especially under uh, uh, false and misleading circumstances. So it is not as glamorous as it sounds. It is not. <laughs> it sounds. All right, <laughs> on to the interview. Rajiv Satyal is a stand-up comedian with an engineering degree. He's originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, and now lives in Los Angeles, California. He headlines clubs across the country and currently has a one-man show called No Man's Land. Here is our interview with Rajiv Satyal.
Today joining us on PF Tape Recorder, it's Rajiv Satyal. Rajiv, how you doing? Good, PF. Thanks for having me back on. Oh, no problem, man. Uh, gosh, it, um, I know I, we've, of course, spoken in the past before. You are a native of greater Cincinnati. I, that I, is correct. I am a transplant. So, um, I, and now I know the story sort of from interviewing you for uh, for the for the press, but uh, let's walk listeners through it. Uh, you're from, is it Fairfield, Ohio? You got it. Absolutely. You're from up north, right? Yes, but um, my day job now is right there on Route 4. Uh, I tell you, Beautiful. man, that's I grew up right there. I went to school on uh, at Central Elementary, the freshman building. Those are both right there on Route Four. There you go. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, the semi truck and warehouse capital of the world. It seems. It really is, man. I tell you, you're. Uh, it's good that they have more than one lane out there. It is. It is. Yeah. So, um, now, where did your interest start in comedy? I actually started at Go Bananas Comedy Club in Montgomery. Okay. But going back when you were younger, I mean, in school, were you the were you the funny kid, or did you watch comedians and think, "Geez, I'd like to do that"? And how did that come about? It was definitely the former. I, I watched probably about five stand-up sets before I ever did stand-up, and they were—I mean, they were some of the greats. So Eddie Murphy, it was Dennis Miller, Dennis Leary, Bill Cosby. I mean, some of the really, really funny ones out there. Uh, but it's Stephen Wright. I think I just named all five. I think those are the five that I saw, and. Um, I really, uh, I was amused by it, but I never really thought, oh, that's something I'm going to go do. I was the funny kid in class, but I was also, uh, you know, class president and student government. And, uh, you know, it's kind of too serious probably to be, <laughs> to be the class clown. Uh, but I was, uh, you know, I guess I ended up the class comedian. There you go. Didn't, uh, didn't you host like things at school and, and, uh, and things like that? That Didn't that kind of get things rolling? Is that, am I remembering that correctly? It absolutely, you're absolutely right. At school, uh, as the president, I had to uh, host a lot of the pep assemblies and, you know, kind of get the crowd going and all that sort of thing. And that's something I've never actually mentioned in an interview because no one's asked the question that directly as far as what the, what the school uh, part of it had to do in terms of that. But I also, being Indian, hosted a lot of uh, Indian events like Diwali and Holi and uh, sort of the Indian Christmas, Indian Easter, if you will. And uh, those, those events were, you know, they drew about a thousand people. And I was up there, you know, cracking jokes, doing impressions, whatever. And uh, I didn't really realize that, yeah, I guess you could say I sort of, you know, I don't want to say I started when I was 13, but I, you know, dabbled a little bit as a, sure. as a young teen. More than most 13-year-olds, I would imagine. Yeah, that's something I'd never really thought about. I'm like, yeah, I guess that is kind of really super abnormal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been doing this since I was 13. But yeah. I was never actually in front of people. I was like in a school play once when I was 13. But as far as being in front of an audience, really never until I, you know, did an open mic when I was in my 30s. So that's, uh, you know, I'm used to hiding behind the microphone here. That's something. Uh, did you, uh, do you watch that series, uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee? No, I've seen clips of it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld has that. Yeah. It's just comedians in cars getting coffee.com. He had Howard Stern on, and that was probably the best episode. And of course, mm. Howard uh, Stern was talking all about how uh, I'm your best interview, right? I'm your best. And he is. He is his <laughs> yeah, best yeah. interview. And uh, he goes, You know, I've always just said whatever I wanted. And Jerry Seinfeld goes, Well, you're in a room by yourself. And then Howard Stern is uh, kind of quiet. Yeah. And then Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld is like, you, well, you never thought about that? <laughs> it's just funny that he's like, I have that to is. get in front of people wow. and talk. You that's, don't, you know? That's right. And even that being said, though, it still took Howard a long time to develop because he used to be awful. When I was a kid growing right? up, oh, yeah, he had his, his voice was a lot more whiny. And yeah. he just had kind of these lame, put-down insult jokes. And I was like, you know, I... I you know, I, there was a lot of controversy when he was out in, in the 80s when he was first getting national exposure. And yeah, he was, you know, and there was the big feud with him and Imus. But then someone yeah. pointed out, and I think on the, the A&E biography of him or one of his these behind the music things or whatever he was on, said that, yeah. you know, Howard learned how to t 
talk into the microphone and become now you listen to his voice it's very deep it's like this and say being all whiny like this and putting good yeah. he's very deep and, he, and he's very engaged yeah and like, you're right and the secret of his success is he gets to say whatever he wants but yeah I never realized that That's he's had a, a big advantage there over folks like you and Jerry Seinfeld and all the stand-ups is that that's a much much different reaction um, now the, the plus side of that I guess is you know immediately what works and what doesn't and on the radio you don't really know until people either call in or maybe they just stop listening and the ratings go down yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I love how you lumped me in with Jerry Seinfeld. I will absolutely take that, so that's fine by me. <laughs> um, so where did you go from, you know, okay, you're 13 years old, 14, you're doing these things, you're hosting these things. Where does the idea come to, like, well, I should go over to Go Bananas over there in Montgomery and uh, do some standing-up comedy? Uh, my, uh, my brother found an article in the local paper in the Cincinnati Enquirer, and it was uh, Funniest Person in Cincinnati Contest. Oh, there you go. I've bombed in that many a time. Have you you've been to it? Oh, yeah, I've been in it, and uh, one and done every time. One and done. Okay. I can. I cannot think of. I cannot think of a. Oh Lord, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I cannot think of a good right. sports analogy. It's like someone who leaves the playoffs uh, instantly. Um, well, well, like the Bengals this past year. Oh, there the you Bears, go. Yeah. You know, well, like, right in our own team. backyard. I'm like the Bengals. Then I'm the Bengals. I'm the Cincinnati Bengals of the uh, funniest person in Cincinnati. Or the Bearcats, man. That was kind of disappointing as oh, well. Too brutal. bad. Big, big fan. That's why I went to school there. So I was, I was doing, uh, I did stand up for the first time uh, while I was a student at University of Cincinnati. So that's a kind of an apropos uh, sort of analogy. Yeah, that's where I started. Okay. And how did you do in the contest time? Well, the first time I made the semifinals, not to rub it in, PF. But, um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not surprised. <laughs> as one does. Well, hey, I had all that advantage from, you know, I'm seeing those India gigs when I was 13. So there, there you go. You go. Uh, all right. That. Um, the, the second year I won it, I actually uh, went all the way my, my second year. And um, I, you know, so, it's interesting because contests, uh, they always say are BS to some extent. I mean, it, it's a popularity contest of sorts. I mean, how many people can you bring? And, you know, it, it's somewhat yeah. of a business decision by the club. But, you know, they're not going to give it to you if they don't think you've got I was going to say, yeah. Out. Yeah, the people uh, who have all won it are all very funny. Right, right, right. So, so. There, there's got you got to have something. But I, I'm not, I'd lie if I said that I thought that I won completely on merit. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I uh, hope, you know, I've st- stayed in the game. The guys I beat, I don't think are doing it anymore. So, you yeah. know, they, they, they voted for longevity, if nothing else. So speaking of staying in the game, do you pursue, well, where, what are you studying at University of Cincinnati, first of all, I guess? That, what, some kind of, was some kind of business degree, wasn't it? No, I actually got a degree. Well, I worked in business later. You're right about that. But I actually got a degree in engineering. Uh, so oh, I got wow. a degree in materials engineering, graduated in 2000. Uh, and then I started working at Procter & Gamble. I worked there for six years in oh, marketing. Right. Well, I started in purchasing and ended up in marketing. That's right. You, uh, Josh Need, um, uh, Greg Warren. Andrew Tarvin. There oh. are four comedians that have all come out of the Cincinnati headquarters of Procter & Gamble office. That's oh, crazy. Wow. There you go. And I steal all my wife's jokes, so like four and a half. Four and a half. There you have. It. What does she do at, at the Page? Uh, she is a uh, social media community manager. Ah, very cool. We'll tell her to plug my show coming up. I, I will certainly do that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, get uh, the XP and Gers out there. Um, so, what what makes you decide to leave? I know Greg said he wasn't taking his job very seriously, and Josh is always something he wanted to do. So, what what pushes Rajiv uh, out of P and G, out of the towers? Or were you at the towers, or were you in some other location? At the time, I was in the towers. Yeah, I started. I worked in all three buildings. I guess that were connected in the Sycamore building. Yeah. And uh, gosh, I haven't even said that word that term in so long. Then in the central building, I ended up in the towers. Yeah. Yeah, I was a contractor there for a while too, so I know some of the lingo. Yeah, in the <laughs> terrace. 
Yeah, there you the go. Lovely terrace that is actually in a basement. I, I love that love the terminology for that. You can spruce anything up. I turned thirty. That's what happened, man. I uh, born and raised in Cincinnati. I turned thirty. I freaked out. I was like, you know what? I love Cincinnati. I love Ohio, but I cannot spend my entire life here. Uh, I cannot grow old in Salem's lot, as Eminem once said. And I thought, <laughs> you know what? I'm getting out. I'm going to the coast. Uh, and I was single at the time. And I go, you know what? Everybody in the middle of the country is married. I got to go to the coast. I got to get, yeah, I gotta get go. out of here. It sounds good. So wait, yeah. did you continue to do comedy in the area and kind of start like, because I know Greg for a while, he would uh, feature places and he toured, then he got transferred to Houston. And uh, Josh, same thing. He kind of moved out. Or did you say, I'm picking up roots and I'm going to California and I'm going to try there? Well, it's kind of a combo of both, or kind of one and a half of those things, I guess. I was featuring. I was doing it for four years. So I started in earnest in 2002. That's the start date. So started in 2002, comedy-wise, and uh, I left in 2006. So after four years, I was featuring at the at Go Bananas, at the, at the Funny Bone, sort of, I guess, locally, regionally, you know, updating Wiley's Jokers, uh, some stuff out in Indianapolis, whatever else. So it's kind of a bunch of... Um, Lot of Kentucky, uh, you know, local kind of gigs. Corbin, Kentucky, that was fun going all the way down there. That was, yeah. that was a good crowd, actually. <laughs> so I was doing a lot of the regional stuff. And, you know, they're not going to make you a headliner uh, unless you either have TV credits, you've toured, uh, whatever else. So, you know, you're not going to just suddenly become, you, you, you're going to get as far as you can go, I think, featuring and whatever after that. So I think at about four or five years is a good time to make a move. And um, I actually went, uh, came to Los Angeles to be the brand manager of Fiji Water. I did not come out here to do stand-up. Oh. And all my friends saw it before I did. They're like, dude, you're going to you're gonna go be a professional comedian. I'm like, no, I'm not. That's crazy. And then uh, 12 weeks after I got the job at Fiji, I jumped ship, as it were, and uh, started doing stand-up full-time in, in uh, 2006, end of 2006. Wow. And in Los Angeles, a little more difficult than if you had gone to New York because, you know, people always say it's much easier in New York because, at least with public transportation, you can get to the clubs, you know, relatively easily. Where in Los Angeles, you may have to be at the Ice House or back in, uh, at the Comedy Store or, you know, much, much further distances to travel to do gigs. It's that, and they always say you go to New York to be funny and L.A. to be famous. And yeah. so you've got a lot of people who don't necessarily do stand-up. They just kind of dabble in it, and they'll yep. drop in. And I remember when I first got to, to L.A., and I was at the Laugh Factory, and Mr. Belding from Saved by the Bell came in to do stand-up. And you're like, I mean, the crowd goes nuts, yeah. but, you know, for the first minute. And then it's like, well, now show us what you got, which, right. you know, Jerry Seinfeld's movie Comedian talked all about that. I mean, it's the most honest art form. And, you know, some of the stuff we're just talking about vis-a-vis -vis Howard, Howard Stern, it's the same thing, right? I mean, you know, it's honest. They're not going to just keep laughing if, if it's not funny. Right. So, um... I'm not ripping Mr. Belding. He did the best job he could, but he's not a stand-up. He was funny for what he was, sure. uh, but it's a different art form from, from what he does. So it was, um, it, it was interesting to watch. And so you get guys like that dropping in who, you know, n nothing against them, but they're not necessarily pure stand-ups. And I think in New York you have that. So, and you're exactly right about the logistics, man. I mean, out in L.A. you trade traffic for weather. You get great weather, uh, but you're going to pay for it traffic-wise. Now, it works out when you don't have a commute. So uh, you, you kind of win if you're a comic and you, you, know, you get up 10 minutes before this interview at noon. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hate traffic. I hate being cold even worse. So, Oh, absolutely. No, yeah. I, there's, especially the winter that you guys have had back east. I'm like, I, I considered it. I'm like, maybe I should move to New York. And the, <laughs> the winter happened. I'm like, you know what? Oof. It was like Game of Thrones. The no. winter's coming. I'm not, I'm not uh, doing this. Well, even Bill Maher says he's from New York. And he said, I, I lived there when I had money. I lived there when I didn't have money. And I hated it all the time. And he loves it out in California. So. It's true. You do not need as much money in Los Angeles. For once, it, for one, it's probably seventy percent of the cost of living is of New York. And then also, yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can open your window. I have my my sliding door open right now. I'm not leaving the place, and it's a nice day. And 
you know, it, you can enjoy the weather without even going out in it. Whereas New York, man, you, you need some cash. Yeah, yeah. Well, it may be warm tomorrow here, so. That'd, uh, that'd be good. I'm coming home uh, fairly soon, so that, that's good to hear. And you're coming back at a, uh, at a, at a good time, because I hope it'll be mid, mid-April, spring, yeah. spring is spring. So at least that's good. At least we have the seasonal change. No doubt. No, yeah. we don't have that out here. But, you know, if people say that, they're just like, oh, man, they get tired of the weather. Like, it's always sunny in 75. I'm like, when is the last time you went to a bar? And it was like all, you know, girls that are all nines and tens. And you're like, oh, man, I just need some, like, ugly fat chick just for variety. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> okay, so how does this one-man show come about? <clears throat> well, speaking of, well, I don't say ugly fat chicks. That's mean. But I guess as far as uh, it, uh, my dating life goes, it... Uh, it definitely, uh, it started about that. It started there. I, uh, it's all about my dating life. It's about defining manhood in modern society. It's basically asking the question, why am I single? And uh, it starts off when I was five years old in Fairfield, Ohio, and uh, it catches up to modern day. That's, that's kind of the, the arc of the show. Aha. Uh-huh. And so, um, you know, I know when people do these one-man shows, I know uh, Birbigli was talking about this with us, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not as easy as it looks. People think, oh, it's just like, it's like a stand-up routine, but really it's not. It's a, it's a different animal. It's easier and it's harder. <clears throat> um, I don't know what, what uh, Mike would have said about it, and I, I saw both of his shows in New York. I saw Sleepwalk with me, and I saw my girlfriend's boyfriend, and they're both great, and they're fantastic. He's an amazing performer. And in fact, when I saw him do... 85 minutes, no intermission. That's what inspired me. I go, okay, you know what? I'm doing 85 minutes. And, and that's what it is. The show is, is pretty much that. And um, I saw how he was able to just hold a, a crowd's attention for so long and just you know, be super entertaining. And I really enjoyed his, his work. Um, it's, it's easier in the sense that you're not chasing the laugh. In stand-up, you know, they say like six laughs a minute, a laugh every 10 seconds, whatever. you got to keep it rolling. It, it, it's, you got to be punchy. And if you also want to say something else um, and you want to make a point or whatever, that's an also. But a comedian's job is the most simple on the planet. It's not the easiest, but it's the simplest. It's a three-word description. Make people laugh. That's it. That's your job. So for the entire five minutes, an hour, two hours, however long you're up there, you got to make people laugh. And you got to keep it very consistent. So it's kind of, it's great, but it's kind of confining. And um, if you also want to say something else, that's where you have to kind of go into the one-person show format where it's a little bit more theatrical. I've got music. I've got costume changes. I've got, you know, I get sad. I get mad. I get scared. Um, you know, you're looking for other things from the audience. But by the time you're finished, uh, it is definitely more draining. You are exhausted because you've emoted. You've tried to get the audience to emote. Hopefully, they're on the journey with you. Um, but it's super fun, and it gives you the opportunity to be funny, to be insightful, to be poignant. Uh, I'm not saying it is all those things, but it gives you the opportunity to do all those things. Um, but I, and I hope that that's what it is to people, and I certainly really enjoy doing it. And another thing, too, I guess, with the, uh, the one-man show is that you don't have to worry about keeping that same stand-up-y format. That you, can, you can let it breathe a little bit and you know, let a story uh, play out, not have to worry about you know, putting some punchlines in there. Because a lot of stand-ups, when they tell stories like a Ron White, you know, there'll still be jokes in there along the way. But in a, in a one-man show, maybe not necessarily so. Maybe the story itself you know, it, it can be more engaging. You can let that breathe. It's so funny you just said let it breathe because I just did Kevin Farley's podcast, Farley Brothers Radio, and uh, I was at the Laugh Factory and uh, he and David Spade were there to completely name drop, but I was hosting and so I had to get their intros. And so we started talking for a while and Farley goes, hey, do you want to do my podcast tomorrow? I go, yeah, I'll be happy to fill in. And I did it and we talked about exactly this and I go, you got to let the track breathe, as the rappers say. And uh, is that what, is that what, it was like, is that what the hip hop guys, I was like, yeah, they let the track breathe. So 
PF. Who would have who would have thunk? You're you're so you're so thugged out. There you go, man. I tell you, I'm, I I have my finger on the pulse of American comedy. You're on it. And 100, music. 142, 43 episodes in. Whenever this one drops, this will be. I guess this will be 142. So drops. There that's, you go. Pod, podcasting well. talk. Sure, sure. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So, do you have one of these here podcasts? I do. 127 episodes. So you you got me by a little bit. Uh, <laughs> they've all been about an hour long. Some some of them are much longer. Some of them went two two and a half hours. But uh, you know, the last uh, 20 or so, I've tried to hold it to an hour. I think that's a good amount or, or less, really. And uh, had some cool people on it, man. Yeah, it's, it's great. I have to have you on mine sometime. Oh, cool. And so now what goes from here? Now, the, the one-man show, what's been happening with it? I was coming to Cincinnati here for uh, a special engagement in April. And then where do you go uh, with it from there? Well, so far, I, I debuted it in L.A. in November. So uh, that was at the Acme Comedy Club in uh, L.A. Sold out both shows. Very fortunate to do that. And then I took it to New York and did Dixon Place in the Lower East Side. That sold out. Took it to San Francisco, uh, March fifteenth at the Creativity Theater in Soma. That sold out. Those are all you know venues of two hundred. Uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, San Francisco was two hundred uh, plus people um, at twenty five bucks a pop. You know, it's like oh, you know, my friend, my friend wrote on my wall. So that's oh, easy when you do ten seaters and you charge five bucks. It's like yeah, that would be easier to sell out. This you know, two hundred seats at, at twenty five bucks a pop is nothing to shake a stick at. So um, really happy with, with the support that's happened. But Cincinnati's the big one, right? I mean, that's uh, it's my homecoming. That's my base. Those are my people that I grew up with and that I love still and all of that. Um, it's a four hundred thirty eight seater, the Ernoff. Yeah, that's no a, joke. It's a big place. Uh, Especially at the, uh, on Easter weekend, so uh, appreciate your having me on because uh, I'm not so uh, not usually in such a heavy promo mode, but <laughs> you know you get a little oh. nervous. Tickets are selling well, but you know it, it is the Lord and Savior's weekend, so. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, well, we'll get we'll get the word out both in uh, in the in the local papers in the in the city beat, and of course, uh, you know, folks, Cincinnati. You know, a couple hours drive only from Columbus, Indy, Louisville, uh, Lexington. So a lot of you know a lot of places people can, can come and check the show out from. Absolutely. You, you remind me of a bit that Kevin Nealon did when we were at the Cincinnati Funny Bone. He goes, uh, Cincinnati, great place. He's like, you, there's a lot you can do in Cincinnati. Uh, you can go to Lexington, you can go to Louisville, you can go to Columbus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Kevin Nealon, uh, your buddy's with him, right? Is that... To continue the name drop, the Saturday Night Live name dropping, I guess. Uh, yeah, man, he's probably my only like true, you know... Famous in America celebrity friend, and and I would call him a friend. You know, like I've I've interacted with a number of people, and you know I got some people's numbers on my phone, but I wouldn't wouldn't necessarily call them friends. I mean, yeah, I just you know I emailed him yesterday. He's somebody I could uh, when he calls, I you know I'll call him back, or I I might wait a couple of days to call him back. I mean, that's people are like you send him to voicemail. I'm like I don't know, we're friends. You know, like it's it's a different game. Whereas you know there are other people that you meet, and you know you're you're cool with them, but you're not necessarily friends. He's just a super nice guy. Now, it's a funny story how you guys became pals. It was while you were still working here in in town and featuring. Absolutely no. I, I was uh, at the Cincinnati Funny Bone, and I was in the offices uh, uh, there, and uh, Jeff Jenna. Uh, comic there who spent uh, 20 years out here in LA and uh, just knows everybody. He asked me, he's like, hey, you know, you want to book some weekends coming up? He's like, I, I got Kevin Nealon coming up. You want to do that one? And I, I kind of looked at him and was like, are you serious? And he goes, yeah, you want to do it? And I was like, well, yeah, obviously I want to do it. And um, that weekend, I remember my friend Rumman, he just goes, hey, ask Nealon if he wants to come see Batman Begins with us. And I go, uh, so whenever that was, oh, oh 05, I guess. Um, and I go, I'm not going to do that. And he goes, no, just ask him. And I said, hey, Kevin, do you want to go see Batman Begins? And he goes, uh, yeah, sure. Well, that weekend, we like we saw a movie. We went to coffee. We went to lunch. Farther than I get with most women in six months. Uh, he, he just <laughs> hung out with us. He was super cool. He gave me his number. And he goes, hey, call me if you ever get to L.A. And when I got out here, I called him. And um, he absolutely took my call. He said, do you want to work with me? And 
took me under his wing a little bit, which was, uh, you know, a lot of guys say that, hey, come on anytime yeah, yeah. or, you know, give me a call. And he really meant it. So. Yeah, I've uh, interviewed him before. Unfortunately, it was before the podcast, so I haven't had him on the podcast. But uh, to bring the universe full circle, uh, a buddy of mine uh, out there who lives out in California now, you may have heard this story, uh, of the guy that got the cell phone, he's from Cleveland, and he gets a new cell phone, and he wants an L.A. number. He doesn't want his Cleveland area code anymore, so they give him a number, and it turns yeah. out he gets the number of a famous comedian. Uh, the phone company never didn't delay not using that number. They just turned it right over to my friend Bob Gray, and it turns out it was Nick Swartzen's old phone number. So really? Bob, that is so, crazy. So Bob's getting all of Nick's phone calls for a couple of weeks, and uh, it finally it stopped after a couple of – it went in for a couple of months, though. And so Bob's now doing stand-up, and this was the basis of one of – and Kevin Nealon was one of the people that encouraged him to write a screenplay about it. So That's really funny. I actually uh, have booked a couple things in town, uh, like interviews and spots, because you know they always say, oh, all Indian people look the same, or our names just kind of run together or whatever. Well, thank God, because a couple of times <laughs> that's happened where somebody thought I was somebody else. And then I, and I pointed it out. I'm like, oh, I'm not that guy. But like, well, you're here. You want to, you know, do the time. And, you know, I kill because I'm hilarious. And then uh, next yeah. thing you know, I'm in. But uh, I've actually been the beneficiary of that. And you, you got to roll with it. I yeah, mean, you know, totally. You take it. And you, you know, yeah. be honest. Say, say what's up. But, you know, if, if they're cool, they let you give, get the opportunity. So now speaking of doing stand, I got to clear something with you. Mm. Your name, just your name, not you specifically, come up uh, in, a, in a joke I do now. Because I see you in my news feed, and it's the only male Indian name that pops into my head. Nice. Okay, so the joke is is that uh, you know uh, I had to get my laptop fixed, and uh, I had to call the service center over uh, in India, and I spoke to Steve. And I'm pretty sure his name isn't Steve. Now, right. I'm not going to do a hideous Indian accent. In fact, Steve was great. We talked about Friends while we uh, had the, the TV show Friends, and he fixed my laptop, and he was great. I was more upset with Dell, thinking I would be upset that my tech guy had a foreign-sounding name. And then I thought, well, you know, TiVo's service center in Tennessee. I wonder if you have a problem with your TiVo in India. Do you call and someone says, hey, my name is Rod Jeeve. Can I help you? And I, so I just use your name because the only male Indian name I know. <laughs> I, I work with three Indian women at work, but I don't. Uh, I guess I could just, I guess, suppose I could do that as well. I, I, they'd be flattered. Maybe they wouldn't be. I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, Stephen Rajiv rhymes, so maybe his name. Oh, really maybe that, that could be it. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, um, so now after this uh, finishes up, then the uh, the one man show. Uh, like I said, you're gonna. Do, what other projects do you have down the road? So yeah, I mean, I'm taking this on tour. So after this, uh, yeah, I, I didn't answer your question. You're right. After Cincinnati is uh, going to be Chicago. We're we're locking down the dates, but it's going to be cool. L.A. most likely again uh, May 22nd. Chicago in June, probably D.C. probably in July. Uh, so all these are, are hovering around that. Um, and you know, just uh, no man's land show dot com. We're gonna okay, be putting up more gonna dates. Say. All right, yeah, well. and then people can uh, stay in touch. But I mean, we're, we're I'm gonna I keep saying we. I guess that's sort of I don't know if that's a royal we or just me being humble. But uh, I guess my director and I, uh, Samara Bay, she and I are, are taking it to other places. We've, we're doing about one a month, and we we okay. hope to cover uh, a lot of cities in the United States. And so far, the response has been good. So uh, the fact that we don't have lockdown dates is not not that it isn't going well. It's that we're uh, we've been so busy, uh, you know, setting up what we're setting up. Okay. Well, cool, man. Well, appreciate you taking the time, and uh, good luck to you the rest of the way, and we'll hopefully get a lot of butts in the seats for uh, not only Cincinnati, but for the other cities as well. That'd be fantastic. I really appreciate you having me on. All right, Rajiv. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Pia. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.
again to Rajiv Satyal for being on the show. You can catch Rajiv in Cincinnati, Ohio, Saturday, April 19th at the Aronoff Center. He'll be doing his one-man show, No Man's Land. For other dates and for his stand-up dates and his podcast and all the stuff he's involved in, simply go to rajivsatyal.com. That is R-A-J-I-V-S-A-T-Y-A-L, pretty much uh, spelled the way it sounds. And you can find all the stuff you need to find out about Rajiv Satyal. Very funny man, and uh, uh, thanks for him to taking the time there being on the show. Okay, for our show, you should know that uh, our unofficial house band, Andy Hawk and the Trainwreck Endings, have a new album out called Shh. It was recorded in a library, I believe, at the school where Andy works uh, there in Maryland, eight tracks. So it's kind of a live acoustic set. You can find that in iTunes, or just go to Andy Hawk uh, on Facebook, and you can find it that way, or just go to any search engine, as they say on the BBC, and type in Andy Hawk and the Trainwreck Endings, and it'll lead you right to where you go. Our friend Mike Travers also has a new song out called Cancer Sucks, uh, more of a serious song, actually, kind of a darkly humorous song. Um, it's about his folks and uh, what happened there with them. We are going to play both of those songs next week. We're uh, up against the clock this week. Show has run kind of long, uh, but we'll uh, have some some new tunes for you next week. And let me see the usual credits. Uh, like the podcast on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at PF66. Logo designed by Dan Coble. Follow him at Tiger Dactyl and look for his podcast along with his buddy Logan, Magic Potion. You can find that in iTunes. Uh, music composed and performed by uh, John Varopoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. And uh, that is all we have for this week other than to say so long and thanks for listening.